Good morning. Greetings to everyone this morning in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Could I ask us all to stand to our feet for prayer? morning. Thank you, God, that though we live by all appearances around us on this earth in a place that has no absolutes, in a place of confusion, in a place without solid footing, thank you that in Jesus Christ we have answers, we have um, life solutions, we have clear principles, we have black and white, we have a solid foundation. Thank you for Jesus Christ, and thank you, God, that you have chosen to reveal to us yourself. You have chosen to reveal to us Jesus Christ through your word. Oh, God, not only do we have answers to... um, give us, in our minds, logical conclusions. But we have answers, resolution to the biggest problem on earth, man's sin. Not only do we have a solution to a problem, we have a purpose. We have an answer to a desire to be meaningful, to be purposeful in our lives here on earth. Thank you that that is all realized in Christ. Thank you that today we have gathered together in this type of assembly because of Jesus Christ, because of your revealed will through your word. We can unify around that. Thank you, God, so much for this assembly. Thank you for every brother, every sister, um, every church member, and every visitor that is here today. God, I pray that you would bless all of us, bless this assembly, bless your word this morning. I pray that your word would be life, truth, health, and would show us the way. Pray that your spirit would use your word and speak to us, not a man. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I counted a privilege this morning to be among you, as I always do. I've spent most of my last ten years in a setting where God's people are very, very few. It's always very special to see God's people gathered together. This morning, by God's grace, I'd like to... um, do a study of the chapter of um, John 17. Um, in this study, I would like to <clears throat> help us to see a bit of a summary. I know I've alluded to this before as part of a sermon in the past, but I would like to devote 
um, this whole sermon to um, the three principles, which I believe we see coming out in John 17. And the more I meditated on these principles, the more that I have meditated on this chapter, um, the more I see this highlighted, all three of these principles highlighted um, as a very foundational theme throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. And it's because of that, and because I do believe that we have a beautiful summary of all three of these in this one chapter, and also because I believe that we see in this chapter, and again throughout Scripture, we see the very important intertwining of these three principles. Um, I'd like to to do a bit of a um, study on this chapter, particularly as it relates to these principles. There are many principles, beautiful principles, that we do find here, not only three in this chapter, but these three principles, um, I believe that we can say are are foundational. To the gospel, foundational to the reality of Christ, foundational to every purpose in um, Christian life and Christian growth. If I were, and I, I wrestle, because in one sense, what I'm sharing here is very, very, very broad. Um, but particularly trying to convince us all, through God's word, of how that is crucial that these three principles are understood to be interwoven and um, if you allow me to use the word equally without the mat- without using mathematical equations and, and trying to actually you know measure how many verses uh, are taken up with each principle and trying to balance them in that way but uh, equal in the sense that all three of these are foundational to the gospel all three of these are foundational to Christian growth. Um, crucial that it is understood that these are interwoven, and that every one depends on the other, every one builds the other, and therefore we can never afford to undermine or diminish in any way any of these three in order to lift up one or two of the others as we may feel is necessary. <clears throat> I believe much damage has been done to God's church. I believe much damage has been done to individuals uh, to hamper me and my personal growth and you and your personal growth when we have tried to come at it the other way around. <clears throat> so if I were to, because it is broad, I wrestle with many different you know, ways we could highlight these three principles. Um, I wrestle to even summarize them as they are termed here on the, uh, on the board. Personal sanctification, corporate unification, and global proclamation. Um, Let's consider threefold purposes in Christian growth. Threefold purposes in Christian growth as... um, a theme for what we want to look at today. John 17, 
we're going to read the, the whole chapter. Um, and please follow along. I'm going to read in the RSV at least portions of it. And I would like to substitute a few words. <clears throat> I would like to substitute uh, the word glory, which in the Greek is doxa, for honor. It also means dignity, glory, praise, worship. Though where we find the word power in this chapter, we could say authority. <clears throat> where we find the word name, and this is particularly important because in our uh, in the old King James, where name shows up, we we tend to to not think of it quite as the definition is in the Greek. Um, is simply character <clears throat> or authority. We'll replace it with the word character. Um, one comes out, um, which is very simply means one. That is the, the long and the short of that definition. All right. <clears throat> Joy, calm, delight, sanctify, <clears throat> replace with to make holy. The Greek word hagazio, hagiazo, uh, also means to purify, to consecrate, to hallow, to be holy, to sanctify. <clears throat> John 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Honor thy Son, that the Son may honor thee. Honor thy Son, that the Son may honor thee. Since thou hast given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom thou hast given him. This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I honor thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, Father, honor thou me in thy, pre- thy own presence with the honor which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy character to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them to me. They have kept thy word. Verse 7, now they know that everything that thou hast given me is from thee. For I have given them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I am praying for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am honored in them. Verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy character, 
which thou hast given me, that they may be one. Keep them. Personal sanctification is our one principle. That they may be one with purpose for corporate unification. Our second principle, both coming out in that verse. That they may be one to what extent as we are. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in thy character, which thou hast given me. I have guarded them, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. They may have my calm delight fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not pray that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Personal sanctification. They are not of the world. Stated fact. <clears throat> 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. <clears throat> Again, principle number one, pr- personal sanctification. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I have sent, not him, he's sanctified, it's become a corporate, I have sent them into the world. So we have our third beginning to come through here, global proclamation. And God, in His wisdom, and knowing how that we need to do our learning, and uh, how that we need to have this incorporated into our lives, He did not just, in the beginning of the chapter, talk about one and make two paragraphs about that, then the second make two paragraphs, and the third make two paragraphs. You notice, God is weaving these together, and the one so that the other, and then this one so that the other. So that's what we, we see happening here. <clears throat> Verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. In truth. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Truth. Believe in me through their word. These who will Believe in me. That they may all be one. Back to unification. Even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. They may be one to what extent as the Trinity is one. Even as we are one. For the purpose that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The honor which thou hast given me, I have given them that they may be one. Even as we are one. 
Verse 23, I in them and thou in me that they may become perfectly one for the purpose that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I desire that they also which thou hast given me may be with me where I am to behold my honor which thou hast given me in thy love for me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these know that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name. I have declared unto them thy character. And I will make it known that the love with which thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. May God, by his Spirit, bless the reading of the word to our hearts this morning. Verse 1, we see purpose. I'd like to just point out a thread of purpose before we, uh, or as we go through this um, uh, passage again. We cannot take time this morning to do a lot of word studies uh, or to go deep in many of these individual verses uh, because we are looking at the whole chapter and especially this principle of the intertwining of these principles. Uh, But we see purpose here in verse 1. Jesus spoke. He said, the hour is come. One of the purposes that Jesus has here is to communicate to us, as it were, a man lying on his deathbed, giving his last words. It was interesting. I was at a funeral this week, and uh, it was shared uh, from the pulpit uh, about, uh, I think it was a son of... um, Victor Brubaker shared about how recently, I'm sure that in getting into his 80s, was he 80s? Around 80. um, He knew that uh, his day was coming soon. And how that in recent days or months, uh, he called his son and uh, he wanted him to document some things. And so he told him some stories. He told him some things about his life. And he he told him some things that he wanted to be left behind. Things that happened to him. Things that that were important to him. And so, we know that happens. I'm sure that all of us, uh, at times, if we think seriously about life, we would think, you know, what would I do if I only had one more day? What would I tell my children? What would I tell my wife? What would I tell my church? What would I tell the person at work or the person on the street? What's important to me? What is the most important thing to communicate? We need to stop and think about that. I think that does give a special place for this chapter. I think that, You know, there's many different nuances of the Christian life, many different individual topics which Paul or Christ will even go out and talk about in some detail at some length, different places. But I don't think that uh, likely you're going to find someone on their deathbed, someone in their last days, is going to go into great detail about one particular thing. But they're going to really try to to, to share the core heartthrob, the principles, the things which which um, maybe underlie all of the other things. I don't want to say things that really matter, because the other things matter too. But the things that underlie perhaps all of the other teachings and all of the other um, principles that, um, that Christ taught us. <clears throat> so interestingly enough, you know, we don't have teaching in this chapter about um, 
We don't have teaching about non-resistance directly. These not in detail. We don't have teaching about um, <clears throat> how to evangelize. We don't have that in detail. We don't have teaching here about how to dress. We don't have teaching here about uh, the structure of the church and authority structure. We don't have any of those details lined out here, but we have three principles which really are the foundation for uh, our various little areas or more practical areas of Christian growth. And uh, Jesus is sharing this. I think that makes it important. It does uh, help us to understand that these probably are foundational. These are uh, principles that we need to pay special attention to. Just like if you would have had the privilege to go to Jesus in his last days and in a sense hear his deathbed message, we thank God that we have these things available to us in this chapter. What a privilege. It's interesting, the first thing he says to his father is, glorify thy son. Give honor to your son. Can you say that? I'd like to challenge you this morning. Can you say, God, glorify. Now, everybody say, okay, it was just Jesus. Jesus could be glorified, right? He's God. Well, can you say, God, would you honor me as your son? Would you honor me as your daughter? Sometimes, perhaps, in more carnal ways, we think those things. We don't say them. We're scared to say them. <clears throat> but in, in the context of his prayer, he says it with purpose. And I want to notice the purposes, the reasons, the motives, the purpose-filled content in this um, chapter. He says, the purpose that you would glorify me, God, is so I can glorify you. Is it true... In one sense, that we could not glorify God if we had no glory ourselves. Think about that. If I have no honor myself, if I possess no honor in this vessel, in this object on this earth, if I have no honor myself, could I honor God? What is the chief purpose of man? Someone help me out. To honor God. Okay, glorify. Sorry. Um. I have to watch myself. I almost went into Swahili there. To glorify God and to honor Him forever. <clears throat> and, um, sorry, to honor or glorify. We're using those words interchangeably. And to enjoy Him forever. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> and so, Jesus starts out with that very basic, foundational, chief purpose of man, even this God-man. And He's saying, God, honor me. I think He's saying, especially in looking at going to the cross. And no one had to go through the cross to get to that glory of the resurrection. That honor, that glory of the resurrection. And I would challenge you, if you find there's only carnal things to come to your heart when you think about praying that prayer, seek the Lord to You can, with a pure heart, pray that prayer. Because you, you can definitely, and I will warn you, you can definitely take that in a carnal or a wrong way. But if your purpose is to glorify God with whatever amount or aspect of glory or honor that God would give to you, then pray it and seek to get your heart into a place where you can pray it. I would, I think we can learn that from Christ's prayer here. For the purpose that your son could glorify you. You've given him power over all flesh with a purpose. You gave him authority. God has given you some authority today. Do you believe that? So that 
your son, that this person, this daughter, this son of yours should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. God has given you power and authority to give eternal life. Now, not quite as directly or, or literal as Christ going to the cross. He did it. He was the offering. But you are the channel of that eternal life, Christ's life. <clears throat> you are the channel. <clears throat> this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God. Okay, so what is life? What is salvation? We talk about a cheap gospel. We talk about different terms, beautiful terms the Bible uses here. This is life, that they may know you. Okay, those people that you are going to go, because God's honoring you, you honor him back, and as honoring him back, you are trying to share that life with others. <clears throat> and what are you, what is the goal? What are you really trying, what, what can you say has accomplished that goal when what has happened? When those people know you. Not to pray a prayer. Not repent. Not confess their faults or their sins. <clears throat> not get born again. Not go to a certain church. Not wear certain clothes. Not evangelize to a certain extent. All those things happen when you know Him. All those things are proofs that you know Him. All those things uh, are part of knowing Him. Uh, so Jesus, again, is staying very, with the very foundational things. <clears throat> Beautiful. I would like to have this testimony. As we have the example here in verse 4. And uh, Paul also gives us the example so we can again be sure that this is not just for the divine God-man to be able to say, I have done it. I have glorified you. But it's something we also need to put as a standard and as a goal and as uh, a, a thing that God will want and can be for every single one of us. We get to our last days and we can say, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work. I finished the work. So the purpose of eternal life is to know Jesus. To know Jesus. <clears throat> this, these three things do come about as we learn to know Jesus. <clears throat> when you understand purpose, when you understand the reason for why I'm doing this, or why I need to do this, or why I w want to do this, when you understand the Bible purpose for it, you can line up your purpose with it, and then it can be done, it can be realized by the power of God, it can, it can happen, and you can get to the point where in particular situations you say, God, I did it. By your power, by your grace, showed your glory, you honored me, I honored you, these things happen, and you get to the end of your life, you can say, God, I've finished my life full of this. And um, there is satisfaction that comes with that. Jesus is speaking words of the purest satisfaction that all the world is looking for, Amen. He is speaking the words. We can experience that. We are the only ones in the world that can experience that. Those who, who know Christ. <clears throat> satisfaction. Understanding purpose brings satisfaction. That's why I think it's so important for us to, to, to just notice. He says this, so that this, so that this. Understand the reason. Understand the purpose. Life with a purpose. Living a pure life with a purpose. Having body life 
being unified together as God's people in this room, in this location, and dare I say, broader than this um, particular congregation in a, a different level. Um, but those things we do, we do the hard work of it because we have a purpose. There's a reason for it. And because we understand that purpose and we achieve that purpose, that gives us the possibility of satisfaction. Praise the Lord. Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Dare I say, only at the point where we have fully honored him in this world can we expect the honor of being transferred to the next world. Where we can perfectly honor him and thus be qualified to receive perfect honor. He prayed, God, honor me so I can honor you. And he says, God, I have honored you. But then he still prays, God, honor me. And what he's talking about now is the ultimate. The perfecting of that in eternal life and glory in heaven with him. If we've honored him in this world, that, those are the only ones that can expect to be transferred to the next world where it all reaches perfection. Verse 6. We go into a discourse about discipleship. I manifested thy name, your character. This thing of knowing that we talked about, this theme of knowing is coming on down through. Every time this word name, God's character is mentioned. It's not just knowing about his character, it's knowing his character, being known in a way which a man and wife cannot even begin to get to, but they'll experience a little bit more of, of that on a human level as a demonstration and as a little picture of what it means to really know and be known. <clears throat> To know. Uh, so we see discipleship starting to come here. He says, I've done it to these men that you gave me in the world. Now, who are these men that he's talking about? He, as the verses go down through, it's clear that he's talking about the twelve disciples. These specific men. I have done it. And they have kept your word. It is working in their lives. They are following through. They are being changed. They are keeping your word. So I'd like to challenge us about discipleship. Jesus had specific men in mind. He knew those specific were. There was a specific time where God called him and directed him to call these specific men. These were his disciples. Discipleship, knowing who are the specific individuals that God has trusted you. This is an aspect of discipleship, which oftentimes is pretty fuzzy for us. But let's add that to our definition. Maybe make that a bit of a foundation of our definition of discipleship. Who are the specific ones that God has entrusted you? Thank you so much, Brother Marlon, for what you shared this morning. Some practical some uh, things about discipleship. We can call it mentoring. We can call it fathering. We can call it mothering. Um, they're all discipleship that needs to happen. <clears throat> Who are the ones? Obviously, if you have a child born to you, God entrusted that soul. Very, very clear. Your children are your disciples. In the church, God gives us the opportunity for other gifts to minister. Other brothers, other older brothers who have wisdom in ways which I don't. Abilities, uh, <clears throat> teaching, uh, preaching, examples, many things way beyond, much broader than what I have to be enough for my children. So you all are now, because I come here, you all, I'm inviting you. Just because I'm here and I'm a part, I'm committed to you, I'm inviting you, fathers and mothers and other brothers and other youth, 
You know, you youth are all discipling Judson and Jeshua. Did you know that? Youth are all discipling them. Uh, sometimes realizing that can help us to be sober, but we also need to be on purpose because um, sometimes there is a, a young person, uh, sometimes there's an old person that needs to be discipled. And they need to know specifically who's discipling them, and you need to know who you are discipling. <clears throat> I think it would be a right goal for all of us to have at least one person, at least because we have sons and daughters, and even if you don't have a son or daughter, even if you are a newborn believer, uh, <clears throat> have one person that you disciple. Specific, clear, a priority. Be specific with our discipleship. Have one person, I think it would be our good to have a goal at all times, to have one person that we are teaching, training, discipling, many different forms, formats, and also at least one person that we are learning from in the context of the body of Christ. Discipleship is a really important theme, I think, for all three of these. It It is some of the nuts and bolts. It is some of the practical, some of the working out of making all three of these happen. Without, without understanding discipleship and its importance and the need to be on purpose about it, no three of these will happen. <clears throat> I do believe that. And Jesus, I think, gave that foundation as before he goes more into these principles. And he talks about discipleship. And he gives his own testimony. <clears throat> Verse 7. They have known that all things whatsoever the house given me are of thee. This is a proof of properly revealing his character the ones that he has given you to disciple in that you will not think you have any value or possession in yourself. If you're being a proper mentor or discipler, you will be communicating by your words and actions and attitudes, you will be communicating that you do not see that anything that you have to give And this can help us to be humble in our discipleship. It can help us to give the platform. We earn the right to disciple a person. If we understand that I don't have any value myself, any knowledge, any whatever ability, even though I must have teaching to give, I must have an example to show, but I don't have that in myself. It comes from Christ. It's not in myself. Jesus said, even Jesus, who was God, he says, all are from me. So we must also have that same example, that same attitude that Christ did, that all that we have to to give to others is from thee. For I have given them the words which thou hast given me. They have received them. Verse 8. Let's drop down to verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. This, I believe, is one of the best one-verse summaries of powerful paradox. There's many paradoxes of the upside-down kingdom. Discipleship class, you wake, all right? Many paradoxes, but this is a very, very, very powerful one, and that is discipleship. Jesus here is illustrating by his own testimony. He is saying, they're given to me, but they're still yours. Okay, that's a paradox. They're given to me, but they're still yours. A vision and purpose to reach the world is present. But the method is through focus on discipleship. Jesus directly here says, I am not, how does he say it? I pray not for the world. Alright? But we do see him coming around to this place of global proclamation as being the ultimate purpose, the ultimate thing that needs to happen. But yet he starts out by saying, by the way, I'm not praying for the world. Wait, did Jesus not have purpose for the world? Did he not die on the cross? His blood's for all, the, all of humanity, all of the world? 
isn't Jesus contradicting himself? Well, Jesus is stating a paradox, which we should expect of him. Is that right? We should expect of him. But Jesus is saying that I will reach the world through a few men. The many through the few. Jesus was not a Billy Graham. He did not try to be. He did not want to be. Sometimes the crowds forced him to speak to large numbers. And obviously he took opportunity and responsibility in those situations. He did, he did speak to the multitudes. But he constantly ran away from the multitudes. Do you notice that? There's a reason. Jesus constantly ran away from the multitudes. Even did things looks like he connived to get away from the multitudes. Like, don't go tell anybody. Because he knew that if that person who got healed would go tell people. Then the crowds would throng and he would not be able to physically do what he was his primary purpose. His primary purpose is to make disciples. Don't call me a heretic. I do believe he came to die for our sins. But his primary purpose was to make disciples, make people to know him. And uh, he had to die for our sins. Absolutely. I would not want to minimize that in the slightest. Um, He had to rise from the grave, give us the resurrection power over sin. Discipleship. Let me move along. That's a whole sermon right there. I'm going to, I'm really laying this, the, the, the basis of principle here, which we should have about half a dozen sermons to uh, expand on some of these very important things. But that's not our goal today. Verse 10. All mine are thine, thine are mine, and I am honored in them. We are also honored by those that we disciple if we are successful in reflecting honor. If we understand the purpose, God honors me so that I can honor him. And all of our teaching, interaction, discipleship, we keep that in focus and we really have that motive, then that will bring honor back to us. But guess why? And guess what? Guess why we'll be glad about that? It's because that's all the more fuel, all the more resources. Right? God honors me so I can honor others. So without me even trying or asking for it, then the cycle comes around. God honors me. And... Um, That gives me more resource to honor God again. Verse 11. I am no more in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy character, which thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Keep them in thy character. Okay? So let's say it this way. We are preserved in God. We are preserved in God. Why? Purpose. What's, what's the purpose here? Is this, was Jesus full of purpose? <clears throat> we are preserved in God. I would call that personal sanctification, beloved. So that we may be one. So that we may be one. Some people seem to feel like some people, it seems that as they grow, I'm going to put a question mark on that, as they grow in their personal sanctification, in their holiness, and they go deeper in their convictions, and they get more specific in their convictions, that they just find it harder and harder to get down to this one. You ever seen that? Yeah. So, do we rightfully need to put a question mark on that? Because do you understand why... Actually, I think the the most important thing of what I think we should see today is this. 
intertwining. If we don't understand these things go together, then we'll get derailed. We'll go way off on a tangent here. We'll be really holy in our quiet time. We'll be really holy in our closet. We'll be really holy in our convictions and how we work out those convictions so much so that we'll be willing to fight for it here. God help us. We need to come back and ask. Wait, Jesus said, with purpose. Keep them in your character so that they may be one. Something about learning God's character and getting holy and pure and full of convictions is going to make us to be one with God's people. Preserve them through your character or through the revelation of your character. Our preservation and the preservation of those whom we disciple is wrapped up in the essence of who God is. Jesus' testimony is that I have kept them in your character, those that you gave to me. I've guarded them. There's not even one that's lost because I have done my part. There's not even one that's lost. Except for son of perdition. She's obviously speaking of Judas Iscariot. Jesus already knew ahead of time in his God foreknowledge <clears throat> that Judas was going to betray him. He already could tell his heart was gone. His heart was, was in the wrong place. He knew this. there was a son of perdition among the twelve. And so we need to give a note there, a realistic note, that we, as we disciple, as we work out this role that God has for us in the world, there are going to be those that will not uh, continue. None of them is lost, the son of perdition. The scripture might be fulfilled. If Christ in his perfection discipled and he did his part, and still there was one out of twelve, I would say it's fair. That for a human being, as godly and holy and a true sincere heart seeking after God and doing his best efforts in the responsibility of ministry and discipling that God has given him, there's going to be those two or three out of twelve. I would say probably most of us can't really effectively take on twelve at this kind of level. I think we can you know, influence many people on different levels, but really on the specific God you've given me, this one, I'm going to see him through. Uh, so... I'm not putting any limitations there. God calls and God directs. But uh, principles to think about. Jesus limited himself to 12. To disciple. Really take responsibility for on that level. And he did right. He, he felt right that he was fulfilling God's call. But yet there was still that one that did not respond uh, in the end. We are not a failure if someone is still lost through his own choice. Verse 13 of this beautiful thing of joy that comes in. Beautiful thing of joy. Christ's joy made full and complete in us. Our joy is also made complete outside of ourselves. In those who are kept in God through our discipleship. Those tears of a father at the wedding day. As he lets his son or daughter go. If he's been a godly father, that's the kind of joy. That kind of completion after all those years of work. And I believe that it has and will happen on a similar way um, beyond just family ties and discipling those who need to be discipled in, in Christ. 
joy, fulfillment. And we have a discourse here about sanctification, personal sanctification. I have given them thy word. The world has hated them. We have persecution that comes in here. Receiving God's word separates us from the world. Are you struggling with being separate from the world? Ask yourself, have I Have I received God's word? Have I received God's word? Am I receiving God's word? <clears throat> Separates us from the world and brings its persecution on us. That's why, uh, wasn't it Paul that said, those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's an absolute, it's a fact of life. <laughs> Can we call it that? <clears throat> they are not of the world. Just like I am not of the world. They know my character. They are in me. They, they are known by me. I know them. They know me. So there's this, you know, with Christ. And so it's, I just love this beautiful way of dealing with the world and the flesh and the devil. It's just stated as fact. They're not of the world. Just like I'm not of the world. Discussion ended. But then he still says, even though all these things are already true, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So perhaps we see justification and sanctification kissing each other. We have, it's a done, settled, finished deal. It is a transaction almost that has happened. This is a reality. And yet, God, it still needs to happen. It still needs to continue. Sanctify them. <clears throat> Thou didst send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we see Jesus going from this one, personal sanctification, straight into global <coughs> proclamation into the world. All of the world. <clears throat> we are missionaries in the nature and example of Christ. In the nature and example of Christ. Not otherwise. Does that make sense? Not exclusively. This will not make you to grow spiritually. This will not make you to be mature. This will not make you to be a good Christian, worthy of being lifted up. I myself have been in every ditch here. And I, in my humanness, constantly battle with running into this one, and running into this one, and running into this one. So my passion this morning is that we could see this happening. The braiding. You know, first I was going to have a twisted rope. I realized, no, twisted rope is not good enough. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not just taking them and twisting. You know, if you take a twisted rope and you pull it hard enough, if it's not, if it's not I don't know, uh, twisted just right, that whole thing will unravel. But when it's braided, it can take all the tension in the world and all these three, the more it's pulled, the more these three can be welded together. And all these gaps are going to start coming out and it's going to be tight. Inseparable. You ever tried to take out a really, really tight knot? That's what you're going to have. No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you pick at that thing, you might never be able to get it apart. And that's God's heart. It's God's heart. Now I'm running ahead of myself. For, the, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be consecrated in truth. Back to truth, consecration, personal, purity. We consecrate ourselves with purpose. 
With what purpose? So that others can be consecrated. Consecrated in what? In truth. Praise Lord Jesus for his word. I do not pray for these only, but for those who believe in me through their word. That's also stated as fact. Not only praying for these, but I know that because of these, there's going to be those who will believe in me through their word or through their testimony. So here we have the expansion vision, the global proclamation. We must speak our own word, our own testimony. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have got a testimony. If you don't have a testimony, it's simple math. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. There is a major problem or a total um, missing of your relationship with Christ. And now we talk about the oneness. That they may be, they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So that they all, these, as well as these, who are one through their testimony, they all will be one. Now, if you look close enough here, there's many different strands in here. Okay, they all may be one. <clears throat> Why? Purpose. Reasons for why we're learning these things. The purpose so that the world may know that thou hast sent me. We were just simply John the Baptist. You ever think of it that way? John the Baptist was simply a, a, a forerunner. He was simply one going ahead, proclaiming things the way they are, preparing people's hearts, to usher in the presence of Christ. Jesus isn't coming present physically, but he's coming just as real spiritually. Wherever we go, when you go into your workplace, when you go into your, your uh, children's ministry, when you go into uh, your family, when you go into uh, another country, when you go into the city, wherever you go, you are just going there to usher in the presence of Christ. Hallelujah. That's what we are to do. And nothing will communicate that more clearly than this kind of Unity. In other words, this kind of purity, walk with God, that builds up the body of Christ. That makes unity. That makes peace. That makes understanding one another, hearing one another, learning from one another, does not mean compromise. Realize these two are twined together. It does not mean I compromise truth, the word of God, for the sake of this. You see, we, we got these here coming together. You get that? All right. But it does make unity. True, biblical, purity, holiness, sanctification will make unity. And this will be the best testimony. In fact, the, the uh, paramount testimony, which we must have, lest we not be able to do this whatsoever. The global proclamation. <clears throat> so Jesus says, these are not my words. He says, so that the world may believe. They won't believe. You can go all you want. You can go as far as you want. You can preach as hard as you want. But they won't believe. It won't be convincing. I still say that in Ivuna, we will, we will reach our powerful day when there is a combination of local believers who learn to do this, not only have a walk with God, but have a corporate de- demonstration of it. That is going to be the testimony. More than the white man, no matter how much he preaches or teaches out of the Word of God. Although I believe the Word of God is powerful. That is going to be the testimony. Jesus says, the honor you gave to me, I have given to them for purpose again. What's the purpose? So that they may be one. 
God, give me your honor. Yes, so I can honor you. God, give me your honor so that I can be one. Give each one of us your honor so that we can be one. That's what Jesus said. Purpose. 23, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. Do you want perfection? Do you want to grow in your personal? Are you struggling with an area of failure in your personal walk with God? Do you want perfection? Do you want holiness? Maybe you're counting too much on your own prayer closet. Again, I welcome input. Maybe you're going to say I'm preaching heresy. I believe in your prayer closet. I believe in your quiet time. It must happen, beloved. But not everything is in your prayer closet. We make this statement. I believe that even though if you go out in the evangelical world, you will find there is much weakness in teaching about our personal walk with God, prayer closet, our quiet time, things like that. But just because we find a man or two, that will come and preach and lift up a beautiful standard of our prayer closet and our quiet time. It's not the whole picture. Am I right? Jesus has an intention that we find a completeness, even a purity that will never happen in our prayer closet. Especially if if somehow it's bringing contention here, rather than adding to the unification, I would dare say that we need to say, God, Help me to find purity. Help me to find victory here. Maybe there's this personal sin, very secret, very shameful, but I've never opened up here. I've never gone and sought for strength and help and and accountability or counsel here. God wants to deal with my pride, and God wants me to do do this rather than keep praying in my prayer closet. I believe in our personal quiet time. I believe in our personal prayer, but... um, I believe that we are unbalanced in that particular way. I think that we need to realize that for our personal holiness, there's a certain part, maybe more than what we have experienced, that depends on this. It will make us more zealous, more open, more working hard at this thing of coming together. Maybe made perfect in one, Jesus said. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me may be with me where I am to behold my honor, which thou hast given me in thy love for me before the foundation of the world. Has God had a love for us before the foundation of the world? Again, maybe not quite a literal sense like Christ. Um, God is Christ, Jesus. Um, God the Son, let me say it that way, is eternal. Not only eternal future, but also eternal past. He's God. Jesus speaking as God the Son, he's God, eternal past, before the foundation of the world, he was. Did I exist before the foundation of the world? No. Did you? No. But we are taught about predestination. He did foreknow. Uh, He redeemed us. There's verses that we're not going to take time to turn to that point to the fact of God's plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. Okay? So, obviously, in a sense... God loved, if he had a plan of salvation to save me before the foundation of the world, God loved me before I existed. Amen. <clears throat> o righteous Father, the world has not known thee. I have known thee, and these know that thou hast sent me. He's praying to God, righteous Father, these have not known me, but I know you. Like, it's a responsibility. And then he says, 
through this discipleship we talked about, these have known thee. So he's inferring. These know that you have sent me. To the extent that the others looking on see and are convinced that we are sent of God. They are convinced that we're genuine. They're convinced that we are true. They're convinced that we are valid. That our relationship with God is real. That's what he's talking about. And he's talking about who? The world. The world have not known me. Here it's not commanded. It's not even clearly stated, but it's clearly inferred. The world, they don't know you, God. But wait, I do. And these do. You fill in the blank. So what needs to happen? I made known to them thy character, and I'm going to continue to make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Another beautiful principle coming out, which really, again, is is quite foundational to these three. That is love. The purpose here is God's perfect love being in us and Christ himself in us. The driving force for all the above principles is truly a heart issue of love. Last week we heard about love agape. And that can be the deep level for all of our relationships, the motivation in all of our relationships. And that love needs to permeate all of these. And it will make all of these meaningful. It will give resources for all of these. I am learning much about how to receive God's love. And so much of the Christianity in our country today is all about this lovey-dovey, almost romantic relationship. And I'm okay with that, except that it stops right there. Um, But... I need to learn more of that. How just to bask in God's acceptance and his love for me and to receive it. Open my heart wide to that. But the reason I resisted that is I have not understood this principle of the intertwining and the purpose of these things. Through most of my Christian life, I've very much, not outright, not consciously, but I've resisted that. Because, you know, I want to go past the lovey-dovey and the, and, and the, the weak stuff and, and the shallow stuff. And I want to get into the real thing and the real work, you know, and, and get practical and, and make things happen. But... We must open our hearts and really receive God's love. And it works and it's good and it's not just uh, all about selfish motivation and just feeling good and like modern Christianity often portrays. It works and it's necessary and it's meaningful to do that if we understand the purpose for it. Because I have a responsibility that these would know thee and that these would know thee. Beloved, may God help us. May God help us. So as we see here, we have a picture of three strands intertwined. I really want to rivet that picture in our minds. More, and again, you know, we could have a whole series about this, a whole series about this and this, all three of these different things. We go deep, we need to, I know we do in different types of of teachings here. Um, But I believe more than that, it's important for us to understand how that they are and must be intertwined. In Christ's heart, they are. There is purpose for every single one lending to the others. They are intertwined. 
you notice the shape here, we have the shape of a cross. But you know, the body of Christ was here. The body, the fullness, the purpose. This is what we need to find. We need to find this intertwining. We need to find this completion. So we have personal sanctification, corporate unification, unity of the brotherhood, and global proclamation, or as John states, or as Jesus states in John 17, so that the world may know. Let's look at this intertwining a bit more. I'm just going to very quickly go through these things just to give you a picture of how that these different principles do lend themselves to each other, are necessary. Every one builds the other. <clears throat> Personal sanctification gives me the humility to listen to the brotherhood. Okay? Personal sanctification here, what does it do? It gives me the humility to listen to the brotherhood. It gives me the respect to be heard by the brotherhood. It gives me purity in mind, body, and in motives, making me useful in the brotherhood and in the commission. Here, I learn to be under authority, which is the only way to be qualified on the responsibilities then to be in authority in my church and to represent them to the world. Personal sanctification gives me outer purity and simplicity with which I attract the world. This intertwining. Okay? See this happening? It gives me outer purity and simplicity with which I attract the world. And specifically in my um, countenance, the world sees. In my styles, what I wear, I drive, I live, house I live in, I work, the way I do business, what I eat, how I eat. In my modesty, with all of the above. <clears throat> Unity with the brotherhood. Unity with the brotherhood, corporate unification. Um, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, 12 to 16, I won't have to take time to do that this morning. Exhort one another daily. Comes out two or three times. And uh, the word one another is used scores of times just as one word to express this interaction, this twisting of the twine right here. <clears throat> one anothering is very, very important. Unity with the brotherhood gives me the confidence of the brotherhood. Gives me the confidence of the brotherhood to support and to send. To send me. I'm not talking about just Africa. Although I think we need more of that global perspective. But to send me into the purpose that I, the role that I play anywhere in the world, in any ministry in the world, and I believe this large of a group, it will be worked out in many different places and ways of ministry. Boys camp. The city ministry. In Pottsville. In Lebanon. 
and even in your business, in your job. It gives me the confidence of the brotherhood to support and send not only me, but also their funds, to send their hearts, and to send their children to join me. I'm hearing this one recently. <laughs> Seems like i got a lot more work to do here. <clears throat> gives me practice on how to work within the framework of what Jesus commissioned me to reproduce. So no point in going over here if we can't show them this. This is what we're going here to reproduce. <clears throat> learning church administration is learning missions. Or ministry of any kind. <clears throat> if you learn to relate effectively and intimately with your church leaders and on all discipleship levels within your local church, you will have learned the most difficult things of mission life. You know, it was just me and my wife and my family, and maybe one other girl. I thought the whole saying about the most common reason for missionaries to go home from the field is because of interpersonal relationships on the field. I never totally understood that. I took that with a grain of salt. wasn't quite sure how true that was. But when there was, um, you know, six others on our mission team, um, now I'm saying more and more, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And you can learn it right here. And the reason that we have so much trouble with that is because our church life here doesn't come close to the kind of interaction that we experience or need to experience in order to be effective and unified and have a team and have the different roles met over here. So God help us to more closely replicate what is really needed to really band together and make a team that is effective in any particular place or ministry in the world. We need to somehow, that's one reason to work closer together right here. Because it's got to be worked out there. Or you'll have your team leader over there worn out because he's trying to make what should happen in the last 10 years start to figure out how to do it over here. <clears throat> and that's why they burn out and they come home. <clears throat> Let the world may know. Every time you open your mouth to witness, it sanctifies you. See? This helps give strength to this. You want personal sanctification? You want to love the Lord more? You want to have a more sweet relationship with Jesus? Dare you? One of the most intense, powerful ways to do that is simply open your mouth and talk about Jesus to someone, anyone, anywhere. And you don't have to be a 10-year-old Christian to do that. 10 days, 10 hours, that's plenty enough time. As soon as someone responds to your witness, okay, you need a place unity to refer to. You need to have church. <clears throat> Submission before, for the purpose of, commission. For the personal and unity strength. I speak out to the world for my personal growth. <clears throat> we plan outreach opportunities on purpose as a church for the growth of our youth For our children to pray for those going out. For the parents to grow by learning to sacrifice their youth. For young couples to be prevented from settling into materialism and family. For the church leaders. These are reasons we purposefully do this, okay? For the church leaders to grow by administering those sent out. And grappling with what to do about the needs and reports that come back. I sympathize with those shoes a little more than I used to. 
I speak out to the world for my church growth. Okay? To grow in depth, as listed above. To grow in numbers, as new ones are added to the church. To grow in vitality, as we do all of our church life with purpose, so that this can happen. To grow in numbers, as other believers around us see that vitality. They see this this beautiful, purpose-filled action, vitality, things are happening. They see that, and they realize that church has a purpose, and it's attractive. So, talking about even people that, that are believers, not just winning the loss, but that, that will even attract people who want to be part, a meaningful part of the purpose. So again, as we saw in John 17, 26, love is the twisting that intertwines these three together. It takes much love to actually bend, you know? Bend, as we sung in um, that one song. Bend our pride to thy control. This bending that needs to happen in order to be able to get next to, you know, this. And then come back and get next to this. It doesn't feel good. If you just look at my life, my life looks all twisted and curled and messed up if my life is all about this. My life, if my life is all about this, it looks all twisted. And now, now, why, why does this brother, why does this come in here and it twists all around like this? And, and now, why would this come in here? Let's just remove this so that we can have this. Right? Why all this twisting and turning? If you, if you take the other two away and you just look at this twisty curly snake, you'd say, I'm just a meaningless, twisted, messed up life. My purpose in life, if it's all about this, and I will understand what these twists and turns are all about, and I'm going to be very disillusioned. Have you been there? I think every one of us have been. And we think that the problem, because I want this, we think the problem is this. Or we think the problem is this. And I'll jump on the missionary side. I've been over here and I see my, my purpose, my agenda, my whatever, my, the vision that I see. And it's going like this and it's going like this and it's going like this. And I, if I don't understand the beauty, if I step back and look at that beautiful straight rope. If I don't understand that beauty, if I don't understand that goal, I'm going to view this as the enemy. I'm going to view that as the enemy. That's what's bending and twisting me so badly. Not realizing this never has strength. God never intended for this to have strength to stand alone. Or this. Or this. Together we can call it the kingdom of God. And we can say that we need all three in order to be able to have sustainable, meaningful, steady Christian growth. We must. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Take just a few more minutes, if you will allow me. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm going to read this passage about threefold cord in a little different light. I know we like to use it for uh, wedding, uh, marriage union, and that's very appropriate. Uh, especially feels very appropriate because it's talking about two better than one. How If one falls, then we'll help them up. Um, it takes two to lie together to have heat. And uh, then you bring the threefold cord in, which we assume means God. <clears throat> That's a beautiful application. I'd like to start reading in verse 7. And look at how that he starts out with one. And I'd like to picture yourself in any particular time in life where you may be right now, where you... You have been putting most of your focus and, and, 
uh, maybe somewhat unbalanced. You've had one particular uh, theme in your, in your personal Christian life or in your church life or in your teaching or in your perspective. You've been focusing on one of these three. All right? Um, so that's the principle. Let's, let, let's say that this one man is just one of these. All right? We're starting out with one. Any one of those three. Wherever you find yourself. And let's start in verse 7. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. Have you ever felt empty? And you're a believer. There is one alone. There is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor, and bereave my soul of good, this is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. What I see there is someone with purposelessness. Hey, what's the point, what's the use of all this hard work, and all this effort, there's no satisfaction, all these things we already talked about. Okay? Here we have a piece which has two legs. Let's assume this piece would try to stand on one leg. All right? This is really in vain, right? This is vanity. Watch. He's trying to stand on one leg. All right. Now, not be 100% fair, right? I could have one little piece, one little pencil, whatever, I could stand up by itself. It might actually stand for the first little bit. This guy's lopsided, but the truth is we're all lopsided. We try to stand on one leg, but the, we don't realize that we have things that pull us sideways. We just don't realize it. So this is more realistic to who we really are. Okay? So um, I'm, I'm this way. Another brother comes along, and he tries to balance me out. Sometimes this is about all we do in church life. This is about all we do in kingdom of God focus. He comes, he tries to balance me out, and, and it works. I mean, it's powerfully effective. Look at this. Woo! It's standing up. Vanity's gone. We've got a good gospel to preach. Let's go preach it. Right? We've got to figure it out. This is church life. Okay, well, we have two, two on top of each other. We have two brothers walking together. The one's really upside this way. was really upside this way. And that's beautiful. I mean, this is wonderful. Let's see what happens. Whoop! That didn't work. Okay, so that was wonderful as long as those two brothers did lots of communicating between the two of them, and it was just those two against the world, they're all right. But I, I think you can see that's not the big picture we have there. Okay, so we're not going to just go one side. We're going to try to just go off to the third side, third direction here. Oh, still doesn't work. Okay, so quite a tedious process. Children, you, you can play with toys in church, all right, if you have purpose in it, okay? So I hope you're all watching. You can learn from this too. All right, so... Say, okay, get two brothers next to each other. We're going to put this brother here, third brother. That's a whole lot more stable because we can even add this fourth brother on like this. It didn't totally fall over. We can add another fourth one like this. And what we're doing is we are building. um, Oh, I was going to show you this. We get two brothers actually line up. They totally agree. Totally same personalities and and uh, and giftings. Yeah, get them straight lined up. Perfectly exactly the same. See, that still works, right? You got. Two, two, two legs. You can go for a little ways like that, not much higher. I tried it. I can get maybe one or two more on here. That's it. Okay, as far as that went. And so we get three, right? 
okay, we believe in these three principles, and, and this is what I see that most of Christianity, in some, uh, to some extent or, not, or another, has. They have a tower bit like this. There's three legs there, all right? Almost every Christian, if you stop, especially show them some verses, point some things out to them, they will believe in the existence of all three of these. Now, I have heard of actually whole churches which almost totally don't believe in this. And you will agree with me, those churches at that point, and because of various reasons that we can bring them to that conclusion, they will almost cease to be have any life, any Christianity, all right? <clears throat> but, um, so, most churches uh, will believe in all three. You have a lot of evangelical churches, especially in our country today, they hardly believe at all in in this. And the practical way they live out the Christian life, uh, they don't hardly believe in this at all. Okay? They come together and watch a show on Sunday mornings and go on their separate ways. And they're rejoicing in Jesus. Their sins are forgiven. Or so they think. <laughs> Alright? And they're really spiritual because their church supports five missionaries. That's the typical evangelical scene. Or at least they give their $50 towards five missionaries. <laughs> Alright? And so we're building, and we have three pillars... Let's say we actually really do believe. It's to some meaningful extent, we really do believe in all three. Um, but we're doing it like this. Okay? And uh, I'm not sure where my analogy breaks down here, so you, you can help me fill in the blanks. Okay, so um, there's a problem here. Do you see a problem? Do you see a problem? There's, there, these, are, these are really connected well, all right? These are really connected well in here. Let's see, I got this right. Okay. This center one back here is connected every single time. Every single time we tie back to this thing of, of maybe for us it's that we believe that you must be born again. We believe in our church that you have clear um, salvation experiences, all right? And... Uh, and we believe that, yes, you need to speak out for Christ. So some people are doing that. And because we, we were born again, we should tell other people about it. All right? And we believe that because we're born again, we need to have some kind of church. And uh, this is actually is, is one of the most, uh, the disconnect between these two. I'm calling this the, uh, the church and your personal uh, church and, and the, the global <coughs> proclamation. That disconnect happens, and that is usually that is usually where things go wrong. May God help us. May God help us to first of all, if you see it in the bottom here, I have my first piece in there has all three posts. They are solidly connected. Okay? Got this plate solidly connected. May God help us in our personal Christian life experience and in our church life to solidly connect those three. And then we build. And as we build, we're connecting two, and we're connecting another two, and we're connecting another two. And we keep building. Okay? And we keep building. And we're solidly connecting, and if, we're, if it's only connecting two, we have a piece in there to fill in the gap, and, and we keep building, we, we, keep, we keep weaving these three together, all right? I will um, say that this is a much closer to the intertwining, which we can really 
illustrate better with a rope. And may God help us to do that. In our personal perspective of, of meaningfulness, of spirituality, you think you're spiritual because of one of these, look again. You think you're spiritual because of two of these, look again. Our purpose for this is to transport a marble the whole way to the bottom. Our purpose in Christian church life is to transport people to Jesus Christ. And uh, if you notice that these people that are attracted because of any, any one of these three, that you notice that to get to here, notice the path that needs to be taken. Just trying to make some pictures so you can remember this stuff, all right? Illustrations are obviously very frail, full of, uh, work out some problems here in our uh, church life here, okay? Now, what if, if a brother comes, and, and here I am, this is my strength, right? I really believe in these two over here, and you name it, any of these three. Because it varies for every one of us. But I come and I really believe in these two. But what if I come and look at that? I'm sorry. What if I come and I look at that? Uh, and I put my two pieces on there. And, and, and um, let's say that uh, I'm a brother over here. And I, and I think that we should have all, all the, three of these things, right? We need all three. And, and I think this one's really important. And I see that there's a group or there's a person over here. He's got these two. Would it be right for me to tear down over here? Would that be the right thing to do? Just start tearing down over here. God wants us to build. And this tower has only started. I guarantee you this tower could go above this ceiling and higher. It's got lots of potential. The way for that to happen, and it needs to be intertwined. It needs to be woven together. But let's do that by keep building. Let's keep building. Let's lift the others up. We have things here that we're weak in, brothers and sisters. There, there is, and you can name it. I think it might help us out a little bit. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe I see it wrong. We all, by God's word and by, by, uh, by God's spirit and by helping one another, we need to, to figure out what, where do we do the next bend? Where do we do the next weave? Where do we bring the next thing in? But um, this happens. This breaks down relationships. This starts name calling. This starts demeaning. This starts people not thinking. People thinking the other person is not very spiritual because. Um, <clears throat> It happens on personal level. It happens on church levels. Um, but we need to keep weaving. In order to give strength to this, we need to weave these other two around it. In order to give strength to this, we need to weave these other two around it. In order to give strength to this. We're all different places. I can think of individuals here, including myself, that I know where I need to work really hard making sure I, strength, I weave the others around. As a church... Uh, <clears throat> I believe that we would call ourselves pretty strong on this, or would like to be. And, and, and same here. And, you know, I've had some interesting, uh, pretty deep communication interaction with another church, who, which happens to be a grandfather of this church, um, where there, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect, because there, there's a really strong strength right here in that church. And we have our strength pretty strong over here. And one or both of these. And that they, they feel like they're doing really well. They're going on with God. They're really spiritual as a church because of what they have here. And we think we do because of what we have here. 
So may God help us to not tear this down. To not call this the enemy because it's making us bend. Amen? May God help them. May God help every one of us. Wherever we find ourselves personally or as a church, to never look at the other one as a threat. Because all three of these, again, I would say, from Genesis to Revelation, are, are woven in Scripture. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Lord God, would you meet with your people? Would you show us the truths of your word? Would you help us to apply them in the way that your spirit directs us to? Help us to have the purposes of Christ. Help us, God, to to love Christ with all of our hearts. Help us love his kingdom. Help us take his example in such a way that we can lift up uh, these different parts of our life and we can see that every one will bring Christian growth in even the other areas. Speak to us, God. Give us the foundation that we need in our personal lives, in our corporate life. In Christ's name, amen.